MSW Media. News with swearing. Daily beans, daily beans. Daily beans, daily beans. Hello and welcome to the Daily Beans for Wednesday, July 8th, 2020. Today, the Treasury has released a list of companies that got loans from the payroll protection program meant for small businesses. The Pentagon weighs a base-wide ban on the Confederate flag. Brazil's Bolsonaro tests positive for coronavirus. Deutsche Bank faces a $150 million fine for ignoring Epstein's suspicious transactions. Melania's friend and Trump inaugural beneficiary Stephanie Wolkoff is writing a book. More Supreme Court decisions announced for Wednesday. And Chuck Grassley is skipping the Republican National Convention over coronavirus concerns. I'm your host, A.G. Greetings. Hello. Uh, I am solo on the lead today, and then we'll be joined by Amanda and Jordan for News from Under the Radar. And of course, they'll be back for the good news segment. I'll be speaking later on with Andrew Torres of Opening Arguments to discuss our wager about when the Trump's tax case will be announced by the Supreme Court, along with uh, 12th Amendment concerns over a Trump power grab after the election. And we still have free premium patron memberships available thanks to the generosity of our current patrons. To sign up for a free one-year membership, head to dailybeanspod.com, scroll down on the main page, and you'll see where to sign up. You can also sponsor a member there if you are into that. We do have a lot of news to get to, so let's hit the hot notes. Hot notes. Okay, so after weeks of pressure from Dems on the Hill, um, folks like Katie Porter, um, there was data released Monday by the Small Business Association, or excuse me, the Small Business Business Administration that shows uh, that businesses owned by members of Congress uh, and the law practice that represented Trump during the uh, impeachment were among the hundreds of thousands of firms that received aid uh, from the SBA. Uh, as part of its $660 billion small business relief program, um, they also handed out loans to private schools catering to elite clientele, which upsets me, churches, which upsets me, they, they don't pay taxes, uh, firms owned by foreign companies, and uh, large chains backed by well-heeled Wall Street firms. According to the Washington Post, nearly 90,000 companies in the program took the aid without promising on their applications that they would rehire workers or create jobs. Um, the data paint a picture of a haphazard first-come, first-served program that was not designed to evaluate the relative need uh, of who was getting those loans. Um, while it buttressed a swath of industries and entities, including restaurants, medical offices, car dealerships, law firms, nonprofits, uh, the agency did not filter out companies that have potential conflicts of interest among influential Washington figures. Several major chains who have private equity investors, including P.F. Chang's and Silver Diner, received millions of dollars. We knew that from uh, previous public reporting, which may uh, rekindle questions about whether large companies with Wall Street connections should be able to accept the money. Uh, over the past weeks, dozens of publicly traded companies had to return the money after they were told by the Treasury Department that the program was not meant for large, well-capitalized companies, even though they were sent the money and granted the loans in the first place. Among some of those receiving relief were Transportation Secretary Elaine Chow's family's shipping business. Uh, in addition, at least seven members of Congress or their spouses received loans, including lawmakers who were directly involved in shaping regulations and also benefit benefited from a blanket waiver of ethics concerns. Hmm. Nice. 
Among the loan recipients disclosed is uh, KTAK, KTAC Corp., a Tulsa-based operator of fast food franchises, owned by Representative Kevin Hearn from Oklahoma, Republican. Hearn had advocated for increasing the size of loans available to franchises, including in a March letter to Senator leaders uh, Mitch McConnell uh, and uh, Charles Schumer, Chuck, Chuck Schumer. Um, KTAC reported receiving between $1 million and $2 million to support 220 jobs. Uh, Hearn spokeswoman Miranda Dabney said the letter was, quote, a bipartisan idea meant to simplify the way loans were calculated. Uh, and she also said the franchise rule that Hearn advocated did not benefit KTAC because its employees, it employs fewer than 500 people. Uh, Rep. Mike Kelly, Republican from Pennsylvania, benefited uh, when three of his car dealerships located outside of Pittsburgh received a combined total of between 450000 and $1.05 million. Uh, to retain 97 jobs. Um, several plumbing businesses affiliated with Representative Mark Wayne Mullen, a Republican from Oklahoma, also uh, based in Broken Arrow, Oklahoma. Uh, each of them received between $350,000 and a million dollars from the PPP. Uh, the lawyer who represented Trump in the Mueller investigation, as well as dozens of tenants of Trump's real estate company, also received money. That's the latest in a series of instances in which Trump's company and his government have overlapped. And as we know, Trump didn't really divest himself from his companies. Um, at 40 Wall Street, an office building Trump owns in lower Manhattan, 22 companies in that building received loans for a combined total of at least $16.6 million. Uh, the recipients included the pro-Israel group uh, Hadassah, the Girl Scout C Council of Greater New York, and the engineering and consulting firm Attain. And that's according to the data that um, the Washington Post received. Um, Triumph Restaurant Group, which operates the Jean-Georges restaurants at the Trump International Hotel on Central Park West, got between $2 million and $5 million. Uh, Sushi Nakazawa, a restaurant in the Trump D.C. Hotel, received between $150,000 and $350,000 to support 22 jobs. 22 jobs. Um, another politically connected loan recipient was New York law firm Kazowitz, Benson, and Torres, headed by longtime Trump attorney Mark Kazowitz. Um, they received between 5 and $10 million in PPP funds to support about 400 employees. Um, Foremost Maritime, a shipping business, this is the one controlled by the family of Elaine Chow, Mitch McConnell's wife and transportation secretary, also received money from the program, between $350,000 and $1 million, according to the SBA data. The company was founded by her parents, James S.C. Chow and his late wife, Ruth Mulanshu Chow, while her sister, Angela Chow, is the current chief executive. Uh, questions remain about how the program has affected jobs, right? This is the whole, this was the whole uh, enchilada right there. The, the program's rules require that borrows, borrowers show their lenders how many jobs they have retained to have their loans forgiven. Among the loan recipients, almost 50,000 recipients, 48,922, reported zero as the number of jobs they would retain with the money. And 40,506 applicants appeared to leave that section blank. It appeared that 10 other companies received between $5 million and $10 million, but reported retaining only one job with that money. Questions about when and how the data will be released have dogged the program, um, pretty much since its inception. The government's failure to release information on the loans uh, as they were issued prompted 11 news organizations, including the Washington Post, to file a FOIA request, Freedom of, Infor Freedom of Information Act lawsuit, seeking business names and loan amounts for all PPP recipients. 
The agencies, of course, missed the deadline to release the information um, last Thursday as planned, saying, quote, we were really trying to verify the data and just clean it up. We wanted to make sure it was as accurate as possible. Clean it up. Clean, <laughs> clean, scrub the data. So, yeah, just say it out loud. And, I mean, this, you know, it's not just the Washington Post. Associated Press is reporting as much as $273 million in federal coronavirus aid was awarded to more than 100 companies that are owned or operated by major donors to President Trump's election efforts, according um, to the Associated Press analysis. They, anal- they analyzed the, the data as well. Many were among the first to be approved for a loan in early April when the administration was struggling to launch the lending program. And only eight businesses had to wait until early May before securing the aid. That's according to uh, AP's review. All told, Trump supporters who run these companies have contributed at least $11.1 million since May 2015 to Trump's campaign committees, the Republican National Committee, and America First Action, a super PAC that has been endorsed by Trump. Each donor gave at least $20,000, by the way. Congress passed legislation last week extending the deadline to apply for the program through August 8th and are now considering how best to repurpose leftover money. About $130 billion remains in the program, and the administration plans to release more data about the program after that deadline. Uh, lawmakers are currently in talks right now on the Hill about a possible additional extension of the program. We will keep you posted on that. But um, this is pretty egregious. We had talked months ago about how the means testing for our $1,200 stimulus checks and the PPP program and, of course, the you know half a, tr- half a trillion dollars that went to the Treasury uh, could uh, impact the delivery. And here we have the results of that concern. So, um, yeah, I guess... I guess uh, I, I, I don't know where it goes from here. I'm, I'm assuming there's going to be an investigation. People will have to return the money. Uh, I'm hoping that this money can be extended to actual small businesses who need it. Um, and it shouldn't be allowed to be doled out to major political donors, especially to people who own businesses who worked on the legislation. That seems like a massive, massive conflict of interest. It is a massive con- It doesn't seem like it is. Anyway, um, I'm, I'm hoping that we get some insight into this. But with, with everything going on right now, I mean, it's just, again, it's a fire hose. We have, there's like 8 million things to investigate. Right now, I think that the uh, top pressure, there's a hearing right now about the Russian bounty situation. I think that's where uh, maybe the main focus is. Fortunately, we have multiple committees and multiple people in the House of Representatives able to walk and chew gum at the same time. So if you hear a Trump supporter saying, you should be focusing on homeless vets and not this other stuff, we, we can do a, a couple of things at once. So anyway, uh, that is the lead. And uh, stay tuned because we have news from under the radar up right after this break. You don't want to miss it. Stay with us. After these messages, we'll be right back. Hey everybody, it's AG. As we know, computer systems in cars are the new normal, uh, from electronically controlled transmissions to touchscreen displays, dozens of sensors, but you can't fix any of these new features yourself. It's not like when I had my 1982 Ford F-250, I could just crawl in the hood and figure out what was wrong. No, that's not how they work anymore. So when something breaks, it could cost a fortune. And now is not the time for expensive repairs, as you know, as I'm sure you're all well aware. The last time I had a tech-related car problem, Uh, It it cost me a fortune. It was hundreds and hundreds of dollars. The repair took forever. 
And of course, if one thing goes wrong in a computerized car, it impacts 12 other systems. Um, that's why I have CarShield now. What I love most about their service, besides Ice-T loves it, is that they have monthly plans that can be customized to fit your needs. Now, the people at CarShield understand payment flexibility is an absolute must, especially right now, and CarShield has affordable protection plans that can save you thousands for a covered repair on computers, GPS, electronics, and more. Uh, there's no long-term contract, no commitments, and CarShield gives you the options that others won't. You get to choose your favorite mechanic or dealership to do the work, and CarShield takes care of the rest. They also offer complimentary 24-7 roadside assistance and a rental car when yours is being fixed. CarShield has helped over 1 million customers, so drive with confidence knowing you've got coverage from America's number one auto protection company. For as low as 99 bucks a month, you can protect yourself from surprises and save thousands for a covered repair. Call 800-CAR-6000 and mention code DAILYBEANS or visit carshield.com and use code DAILYBEANS to save 10%. That's carshield.com, code DAILYBEANS. A deductible may apply. Hey, everybody. Welcome to the B Block with Jordan Coburn and... Oh! <laughs> I thought you were going to say my name. I know. Sorry. Sorry. It's fair. I, I didn't... I, I should have done that. That's what AG always does. And then I realized my me gesturing to myself in my kitchen does nothing to inform you as to what I was expecting well, to happen. Well, you know what? You are right. I just, I haven't been on the B block in so long that I forgot. I mean, I listen to the show and I know she introduces you that way. She's like, featuring, and then you say, you know, but I just, uh, I've linked there. So anyways, hi, everyone. No, no, no. No, I think you're right. I think she usually says my name for me as well. AG does a lot of things for me. That is yeah, one of Wait them. a second. She does usually say your name, doesn't she? <laughs> yeah. Yeah, she does. <laughs> yeah. Sorry. My bad. Anyways. Uh, anyway, <laughs> hi, everyone. Mandy Reader, everybody. <laughs> Mandy um, Reedy. Mandy Reedy. How are you? I am good. Uh, I just saw you in person. We went to the dog park yes. and got smoothies. Yes. That was so nice. It was so beautiful outside. Well, it was very hot outside. In the shade, it was super beautiful. It was very hot. And... Well, it was beautiful in the shade, but that tree smelled like poop. It smelled like poop and halitosis. It was a complete halitosis tree. I have no clue. I kept smelling my own breath, thinking it was me. And it was like, the tree. The tree smelled like an ass mouth. It was so weird. Very strange. <laughs> Any- anyways. <laughs> we, had a- we had a great time. We hung out with your dog. It was adorable. And it was so... It was just very nice. Um... <laughs> we have we have a, a few a few stories for the B block. I'm gonna kick it off if that's cool with a quick COVID update. Yeah, before go for I it. Throw it to you. So pretty much country is not doing well. Still, that has not changed. Florida's reporting record high cases, which is the least surprising thing because Florida is where we kept seeing all of those pictures and reporting constantly of people giving no shits, preemptively going to spring break. Uh, preemptively going to bars, hanging out, having these parties, not wearing masks and and everything. And it would appear that the data, unfortunately, is reflecting those reckless decisions there. And it's really shitty. It's it's very shitty. It's not... We take no pleasure in saying this. And it's like, if it has a schadenfreude vibe, sorry. You know, it's frustrating to constantly be saying how stupid someone is being. And hey, 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 this bad thing's going to happen. And then when it happens, it's just incredibly frustrating. And that's what's happening to Florida. They're running out of their ICU beds. Mm-hmm. We're like, they're like back at square one of the S- pandemic. Similarly shit. in Texas, uh, Texas, I was uh, I was watching some coverage from Texas over the weekend and 
you know, in Arizona and in Texas and in Florida, I mean, they're so dangerously close to these max capacities in ICUs. And it's Mm -hmm. very, very real that they're going to have to start turning people away or deciding who gets, um, who gets help. And I mean, I don't think that's just a possibility. I, I, I foresee this happening in the not too distant future unless we either make huge changes or unless they expand their bed capacity. And until there is, I mean, I know Texas uh, Governor Abbott, didn't he uh, uh, mandate a, a mask order in public? Mm-hmm. I think until DeSantis in Florida does something similar, um, they're, they're going to continue to struggle because the science is the science is out. You know, masks mitigate risk massively. Yeah, yeah, they really do. They're already down to seventeen percent of Florida's total ICU beds. Um, and that's down from 20% three days ago. So that's a rapidly declining rate too. It's like, it's not a problem that's, you know, I mean, on one hand, it's a problem they should have seen coming for a long time, but right now it's happening so quickly. I mean, 20% down to 17% three days. That's a huge drop. That means the rates are high. And I just want to also say this. I have some family members who, uh, and friends who will say, you know, well, the number of cases because it's not just the ICU numbers that are going up. Clearly, the cases for new cases are going up as well. And there's a lot of a, a lot of records being hit in terms of new cases being confirmed. And so, what I'm hearing is this is happening because of the increased testing. If you increase an ability to gather a metric, that number is itself is going to go up. And yes, conceivably, that is partially an explanation right that that's a that's a logical that's a logical thing to say i'm not going to fight back on that but i will to the extent that that should not make people sleep soundly at all because the hospitalization rates are going up and the death and the death rates are going up so it's not a linear progression that we're seeing we're seeing that there are more it's it's because if Presumably all these people that wouldn't have otherwise gotten tested were just sitting around untested with COVID. Now you give the test. Now people can go and get the test. Now, oh, here we go. We have all these new cases. You know, basically the argument being things are the same as they always were. Now we just had the way to measure it. Things are not always the same as they always were because in that past life, without as much testing, if people got to the point of needing a hospital, they still would have gone. So it's, and the fact that now more people are going negates that argument uh and i just i feel like i've had to tell my family and friends that over and over again and it's kind of getting frustrating because i feel like every single article and reporting that talks about the increased number of cases also talks about the increased number of hospitalizations so it's like are you just not reading past the first paragraph and just like (laughs) cherry picking what you 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 listen to you know and and i think um, that is kind of a little bit maybe what's happening or, or it's just very frustrating, but it's super frustrating. It's also really frustrating. Like I heard governor DeSantis in Florida say, well, we're seeing a lot of new cases in the early 20 age range, which basically means your chances of fatalities are zero, you know? And it's what? like, yeah. And like a 17 year old just died in Florida last week. You know, he's basically saying, well, if you're young and healthy and you're catching it, that doesn't worry so- me so much. So I'm pleased to say that a lot of the cases are with young people. 
You know, like he's basically just right. like go go about your business and spend your money, young people. Just stay the fuck away right. from everybody who's immunocompromised or elderly. Always, Ex- exactly, exactly, because that's what that statement is completely missing: is the acknowledgement that having it means you can spread it to the mm-hmm. people that will die from it. Also, right. and and you're right; there are still cases of people who are in these low risk quote-unquote age groups and they're still they're still dying you know statistically it is not usually people in that group but that doesn't matter at all because we have to be looking at this as a whole as an entire group all ages everything who is it affecting and how do we stop that spread and anytime they talk like that it does not give airtime to that very important sentiment and that sucks so mandy what do you have for some headlines? Um, well, I have a couple of stories. All right. So the first one is uh, about the RNC, the Republican National Convention. Um, and uh, I think what's happening is that <laughs> some of these Republican senators who don't want to have to support Trump publicly are using the pandemic as a uh, as a way to avoid having to do that. So mm-hmm. uh, we so far have uh, Chuck Grassley, senator from Iowa. We yeah. have um, we have Lisa Murkowski, we have uh, Susan Collins, and we have Lamar Alexander from Tennessee, all not going to the RNC, stating it's for COVID reasons. Nice. Nice and convenient. I'm trying to think of, like, who, like, are they, because if they're, they're trying to save face for their base by blaming it on COVID, also with Trump. But who, what are they benefiting? Is this just a deeply personal decision, do you think? Like, in reality, what do you think is motivating them to not go? Well, I mean, I think that's, I mean, I think that they genuinely probably don't want to go because of the pandemic. I mean, none, that's none true. Of, none I don't even those, consider yeah. that to be an option because I'm so used to them being idiots. <laughs> I mean, I think it's, I think it's probably both. I think it's like not having to support Trump publicly, but also the health risks. So I think that, you know, they, they feed into each other. Mm-hmm. Totally. Well, more people like that. Pry yourselves away from a party that doesn't work. Sing it with me. It's a long lyric, but I think we can get it. <laughs> it's, it's, I, I hesitate to say heartening to see that, but sh- you know what I mean. Yeah, well, you know, look, if they were not attending the RNC uh, and it was non-pandemic times, maybe I could see that as a quiet protest, but like, I don't know. It's hard to hold this up as some sort of like uh, something to celebrate because, first Mm -hmm. of all, they're probably genuinely concerned for their health. But like not going to the RNC is not enough. Like he's right dangerous to the future of democracy. It's not enough just to not go to the convention. You have to actively put the needs of your country before yourself. Hey. Yeah, you um, fucking patriots in quotes. Yes, absolutely. (laughs) Um, yeah, they deserve no cookies for any of this. And then, uh, yeah, you got you got another headline, right? I, I do have another headline. The president of yes. Brazil, who is uh, a Bolsonaro, who's a mini Trump, he's a Trumpy vibe, uh, burning down the rainforest and being bigoted, et cetera, et cetera, has tested positive for COVID. Damn, another Boris. Yes, correct. Um, after months of dismissing the seriousness of it, um, he he announced it on on TV. Um, everyone knew that it would reach a considerable part of the population sooner or later. It was positive for me. That's what he said. (laughs) Hmm. Um, so 
he basically just said, I'm not going to see anyone for meetings. Everything will be done via video conference. But, uh, you know, he's 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 basically finally now saying that it's more than a little flu but it took him getting it of course Mm -hmm. oh my gosh that's so frustrating also something i'm hearing a lot something that's really frustrating and this is something that the bolsonaro um said uh i thought i had contracted it already i'm hearing this from a lot of people and it's really frustrating because i feel like anybody who is sick like you know in like january or february think that they had covid totally i'm i'm one of i am 100 percent one of those people <laughs> well i find it i i find that really dangerous i've seen a lot of people basically acting like they have antibodies because they believe uh, that they yeah, had yeah. it and i think yep. that's really dangerous just because you were sick earlier in the year doesn't mean that you had covid I just agree. because you never had it confirmed doesn't mean that you had covid it could have been anything the different I you agree. know sorts of less f- uh, fatal uh, uh illness viruses have also morphed recently and become you know tougher mm-hmm. but um, another uh, a musician that I saw on CNN the other day I can't remember what his name was a musician or a comedian or some type of performer anyway he said he fell um, fell down on stage he collapsed on stage at a show in Nashville what he was doing doing yeah. those shows I don't D- know DL right yeah that's right and he said the yeah. same thing he was like he had to be he had he charted a private jet to get home and he was like you know I just operated thinking that I already had it because I was really sick back in February you know mm-hmm. and so he just moved around the world essentially thinking that he had antibodies without having confirmed that. And mm-hmm. um, if you're one of those people, don't fucking do that. <laughs> right. Definitely do not let that inform any of your actions uh, other than going and getting tested. And even then, still quarantine because, honestly, I don't think that those tests are reliable enough in a way that should change your behavior anyway in the direction of not social distancing. Um, but But, yeah. Thank you so much for that update. I have a couple stories to ring in the mm-hmm. B block here. Uh, ring in, close out. What's the opposite of ring in? Ring out? <laughs> I don't know. <laughs> um, uh, Deutsche Bank. They're facing a $150 million fine for their ties to Epstein's financial dealings. New York's Department of Financial Services said that Deutsche Bank um, helped him. They worked with him through from 2013 to 2018. And it's... It's being said that they helped him transfer millions of dollars, including more than $7 million, to resolve legal issues, and we know what kind of issues those were, and more than $2.6 million in payments to women, covering tuition, rent, and other payments, and then there were other transactions as well, that should have been flagged. And so the bank has put out, uh, you know, regretful statements, uh, or statements of regret, I should say saying, quote, we acknowledge our error of onboarding Epstein in 2013 and the weaknesses in our processes and have learned from our mistakes and shortcomings. Our reputation is our most valuable asset and we deeply regret our association with Epstein. Wow. If that's their most valuable asset, they are not protecting it well because they (laughs) keep this shit happens over and over again because I think this statement is just complete bullshit. They know so many of their clients clearly are engaging in this sort of white collar criminal behavior and they exist to do business with those people. Also, Russian money laundering, as we know, they were a huge part of as well. And they keep facing sanctions and they keep putting out these statements and it's just laughably unmeaningful hearing them. Uh, They went on to say whether... 
or to what extent those payments or that cash was used by Mr. Epstein to cover up old crimes, to facilitate new ones, or for some other purpose are questions that must be left to the criminal authorities, but the fact that they were suspicious should have been obvious to bank personnel at various levels. Yeah, it should have been. The bank's failure to recognize this risk constitutes a major compliance failure. This was, um... Uh, that was the the regulator had said that my mistake first episode Damn. or first yeah first one was the bank second one was the regulator so it's it it's it's completely it's they keep getting into shit with people Deutsche Bank just you fucking suck and you don't do a good job at not criming so <laughs> you don't Deutsche do a good job not criming and uh, finally Stephanie Winston Walkoff is releasing a book. She was forced out of the White House, so she says, in 2018. There were allegations against her that she'd been profiteering from President Trump's inauguration. Uh, This is that $26 million in payments, and this was for helping him plan that inauguration. And and so she's coming out saying, Nuh-uh, I only got $1.62 million. And she's going to say that she was once a trusted advisor, and now... She's being thrown under the bus. So we got another another fuckery book, I guess, to look forward to. Woohoo! Uh, that is, <laughs> yeah, woohoo. That's the end of the B Block, everybody. Stay with us right after this break, and uh, we'll see you on the other side. Hey, everybody. This episode of Daily Beans is brought to you by Caliper CBD. Sometimes we get overwhelmed in our endeavor to be healthy and happy. It's a lot. Uh, who says taking care of yourself needs to be so hard, though? What is great about CBD is it helps you feel better without making drastic changes to your routine. I have found CBD helps me feel calm, it helps me sleep easier, and I feel less sore from workouts, which is a big thing for me. I know you're thinking droppers full of funny-tasting tinctures can't be the best modern science has to offer, which is why Caliper introduced a better way to consume CBD. Caliper CBD powder is completely tasteless and mixes easily in food or drinks, so there's no weird taste. And they have precisely 20 milligrams in each packet, so you'll never question how much CBD you're taking again. Uh, I like to add it to my morning coffee or a post-workout protein shake. It is clinically proven that you absorb 450% more CBD with Caliper CBD powder compared to tinctures. Uh, It's pretty crazy that it works so much so well. Uh, Caliper gives you all the benefits of CBD in just 15 minutes, about twice as fast as CBD oil. Caliper is completely THC-free, all-natural, non-GMO, no fillers, no added chemicals, or no added artificial flavors. So get 20% off your first order when you use promo code DAILYBEANS at trycaliper.com slash dailybeans. You can try Caliper CBD risk-free for 30 days. If you don't love it, they'll give you a full refund. No worries. That's trycaliper.com slash dailybeans. Don't forget promo code DAILYBEANS for 20% off your first order. Hey, everybody. Welcome back. So yesterday, the Supreme Court handed down a basically unanimous decision. And we'll talk about what I mean by basically unanimous in a second in the faithless electors case. And joining me today to discuss the implications is real life lawyer and co-host of the Opening Arguments podcast, Andrew Torres. Andrew, how are you? I am fantastic, AG. Uh, How are you? I am good today. Thank you. Thank you. Appreciate that. So Monday, I went through the nightmare scenario that's been in Medium and Newsweek uh, all this week again about how Trump could hold on to power even if he loses the election by both the popular and electoral vote. Um, This decision yesterday is about the state's popular vote. But does this have anything to do with the scenario where Trump could retain the presidency, even though this is really just their decision seems to me to just be maintaining the status quo? Yeah, I I don't think this has anything to do with the Trump apocalypse scenarios, Um, unless unless you want to like and let me let's be clear on how we define those. Trump apocalypse is Trump loses 
the popular vote, which I think we all know he's going to lose that. He loses in the Electoral College, but through some machination, makes some claim that some people think means he won't leave office. Now, you and I have already talked at some length that um, the the built-in mechanisms in the Constitution make that really, really unlikely. And I continue to hold back. And look, like, again, we've all been shocked by, you know, uh, beginning with Mitch McConnell stealing a Supreme Court seat, right? It's it's harder. And I get I get our listeners who say things like, yeah, well, you know, you told me that Mitch McConnell wouldn't steal a Supreme Court seat. And, you know, you told me that we wouldn't elect a criminally insane game show host as president who would then loot the (laughs) national treasury. And so I get it. Right. So when I say Donald Trump is not going to stay in power when he loses the election, you have the right to be a little bit skeptical about that. Um, this decision, so if you're if you're a subscriber to Trump apocalypse theory, this decision doesn't affect that in any way whatsoever. Got it. This does affect uh, the Trump b- b- mini apocalypse, right? Like regional disaster scenario, which in my view would be the nation, some, some kind of supercharged version of 2016, right? That there is a clear national popular mandate for the Democratic candidate, but due to like incredibly weird quirks and people not being smart enough not to vote for libertarians and, you know, and other things like that, like you wind up with Donald Trump squeaking by with uh, the the built-in Republican advantage in the Electoral College. And um, so, you know, but, but, but you still, you still have to win that, right? So that, that's where, that's where the the set of decisions that that came out yesterday um, come into play, and uh, it, it I, I will say this right um, lead counsel for the plaintiffs in one of the cases in the Baca case uh, in Colorado was uh, Larry Lessig, um, and I had uh, Lessig on my show for like an hour and a half, and we talked about all of this, um, and. It, it, it is rare in today's age to have a principle of law be unsettled, and I'm about to define what that is, um, and still have the court basically kind of come out 9-0, right? Um, mm-hmm. that, that's, that, that doesn't happen. And, and, and here was the sole question that, that was at issue, and that was, is it possible for states to pass rules requiring electoral college electors to vote in accordance with the the rules of the state uh, apportioning those electors, right? In other words, are we stuck with the system that um, clearly the framers intended, right, in, in you know, 1792 of, uh, you know, these are, these are just guys, and I say guys because mm-hmm. they were all white men at the time, obviously, um, but like, you know, the electors are guys, and they all kind of get together over a beer in Philadelphia and figure out who the president is, um, mm-hmm. or... Or is the power to control that at the state level? Can the state say, hey, um, our popular vote went to Joe Biden. You, therefore, are being sent as a Biden elector. And if you cast your vote for anybody else, we will fine you. We will uh, criminally prosecute you, right, in, in one of the, the states that, that, that was, again, again, it was a fourth degree, uh, it was fourth degree misdemeanor, I believe. But nevertheless, like... You know, I'd, I'd I'd like not to have a criminal misdemeanor on my record, right? So, um, and 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 that was the question. And surprisingly, like, there wasn't an easy answer either in the history of the Constitution or in 
you know, in, in case law or, you know, as uh, Clarence Thomas would have you believe, you know, obvious from the plain text of the 12th Amendment, like n- none of those were the case, right? Like it, it's it's n- it was not clear until yesterday. So we're talking about the scenario here where for I know some states have said we have decided whoever wins the popular vote in our state gets all of our electoral votes. Um, uh, you know, as opposed to splitting them, uh, that's what this involves. So he, here's actually, it, it can apply in multiple different scenarios. Here's what actually happened, right? So and, and it's, it's shocking to me that the court declined to describe this history, because to me, this was the more fascinating aspect of this case, right? Um, Donald Trump very narrowly won the Electoral College, and uh, was widely perceived as a uh, complete and total lunatic and moron, right? Wrong, wrong. <laughs> I won by a landslide. Wrong. Uh, yeah, and so um, as as a result, right? So Larry Lessig got together and organized uh, the Electoral Vote Compact, right? And the idea was that uh, the Electoral Vote Project, I think it was called, and. The, the idea was, right, Trump had 306 pledged electoral votes. And if you could get uh, then 36 people, 30, uh, you got to get, you got to get, uh, you get uh, 269. So 38 people uh, to cast their vote for somebody else that would throw the election to the House of Representatives, right? And the idea was to pick a moderate Republican, right? And to have all of those folks uh, who were going to be faithless electors vote instead for a moderate Republican. And then if no candidate has 270 electoral votes, then the top three electoral vote getters would go to the House of Representatives. Um, you don't vote on a uh, on an individual House member by House member basis. You you actually vote by state delegations, and and so it's a little bit more complicated. But nevertheless, uh, Republican House, uh, and the idea was okay. the The bargain is we throw it into the House, and then the Republican House at least will vote for you know John Huntsman or you know whatever the moderate Republican that you've now given the third most amount of electoral votes to. Basically, allowing thirty something people to pick the president of the United States. Right. And, and the and again, and very clearly, like horse trading that to be like, look, uh, OK, you Republicans use the Electoral College to win. We're, we're not going to try and get you uh, to um, to vote for Hillary Clinton. Right. Like that's clearly not going to happen. We're going to concede, but we're going to give you a Republican that you probably like better and that will like better. And actually, the the the, the Republican in that project, I, I was saying John Huntsman because I was just trying to think of the like dwindling list of moderate Republicans. <laughs> uh, it was it was John Kasich, right? And we can talk about, you know, just how moderate is Kasich. But like, look, you know, if you ask me, what would I do to have John Kasich be president right now? Like, huh, a lot. <laughs> right. But not in November. not in november but retroactively yeah um and and look that didn't work at all right it 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 was it was terrible uh and poorly executed and uh, and i think it illustrates how you know how hard it is to pull off something like this law puppy in the background again so um law dogs 
<laughs> ah, social distancing. Can't uh can't can't get to the to the studio, can't keep a puppy down. Anyway, um it, it, look, you could imagine a very, very close, right, 2000 style election in which you could actually nail down five people or, you know, but um, but they couldn't get 38. Um, and some of those folks who participated in the electoral vote project and switched their vote or announced that they were going to switch their vote prompted those states. These, these were these were people switching away from Hillary Clinton, weirdly enough. Right. Uh, because uh, the, the, as part of the trade. Right. Like so right. part of the sign of good faith is, yeah, well, well, let's get Kasich up to a good number here. We're going to give you some Clinton electors. It doesn't matter. Right. Like at this point, Hillary Clinton, as long as she has, you know, over, uh, you know, 40 or 50 is still going to be one of the top three candidates. She's still probably not going to come out of the House of Representatives. So it doesn't really matter. So so that was the idea. The idea was to overturn the election, uh, get a more moderate Republican in sort of using this one weird trick. And the question was, can states try and stop Larry Lessig from doing that? And what the Supreme Court said was, yes, yes, we can. Um, and and I think that's a good thing, right? I think it's a good thing for two reasons, right? Number one, it's a good thing because now we know what the rules are and we didn't before then. And every time we have more understanding of what the rules are and who makes the rules, it reduces the chance that we wind up in a 2000 type scenario, right? Where there there's nothing that is going to have any legitimacy coming out of, you know, a, a per curiam five, four Bush, Bush v. Gore opinion um, that, you know, that everybody right? like you, you cannot find somebody with a straight face that says uh, that, that that was a, an apolitical decision, right? Like it was, that was, the five conservative members of the Supreme Court were like, uh, I'd kind of like to have George W. Bush as president. So we're going to invent this entirely new rule um, that's not at all consistent with the statutory canons of interpretation. It's not at all consistent with our jurisprudence. And we're going to say that in the opinion, right? Like when you read Bush v. Gore, it basically says, hi, this opinion is being written while we're standing on base and the floor is lava and it doesn't count for anything else ever. And so don't try and cite it. it I, I mean, I'm, I'm exaggerating but only slightly like right so yeah um so anyway so this helps in that trump you know regional apocalypse scenario and mm. uh and it gives states the power to say no 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 like we're not you, you can't go through and like buy off a joe biden elector and like swing the balance of power here and right since if the democrats win the electoral college narrowly, right? That would imply a four to five percent win nationally, right? Like that's that's the kind of that to me, that is the far bigger word, right? Like if Trump wins the electoral college, like then then we will have all not done our jobs over the next couple of months. Well, we said that in 2016. We <laughs> said that in 2016. He shouldn't have won the electoral college then. And um, he definitely shouldn't win it now. And uh, but I think the the Trump apocalypse that most people thought that this would resolve would be the you know four key swing states, Joe Biden narrow victory. But those are Republican legislatively held states, and so they hold and hold and hold until the deadline when they have to certify, and then it goes to the Supreme Court, et cetera. And, and of course, the emergency declaration of powers that would probably be a nice OLC memo whipped up by Bill Barr. I'm surprised that, you know, I would be surprised if it doesn't already exist. But um, 
you know, like he's got it holding on to it. But but yeah, I mean, it does prevent this. It does prevent this loophole. Um, yeah. Scenario. And, and look, look, here's here's what I would say. I would gladly trade off the scenario in which Democrats lose. Right. 271 to 268 right and try and get two trump electors to switch right uh then the reverse right mm-hmm. like and, and 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 look the electoral vote project illustrates that right like only two trump electors switched five clinton electors switched right so uh, it, it it i i think the the structural advantage that you have to me means it's it's much better to be enforcing it state by state. Uh, it, that the Newsweek article, I, you know, is clickbait. Like it's just, uh, and again, I know people aren't going to believe me, but like it, it, it that's not it's not going to happen. It's not. I get it. <laughs> I understand. I'm scared too. But mm. you know, like you've always said, right? Let's vote in numbers too big for them to manipulate. Well, that's why I that's why I went over that article. Yep. <laughs> you yep. know, avoid the narrow electoral college win in legislative states run by or states run by Republican legislation and and or legislators, and then then we don't have to worry about it. And also, Trump should be uh, glad, you know, that uh, that it wasn't a landslide. Uh, but you know, hindsight is twenty twenty. <laughs> uh, yeah, yeah, but but look, like, and, and and again, since since I always lose patrons every time I do this on my show, I'm gonna do it on your show and see see if it happens here too. Like, it Democrat, I cannot tell you, it's probably about three quarters, one quarters uh, of uh, Jill Stein voters that I talked to in 2016 who are sort of genuinely repentant. But like, it it, it that behavior was patently irrational by Democrats in 2016, where uh, they, and, and, and Jill Stein gave, it was, it was votes for Jill Stein exceeded the margin for Trump over Clinton in the three states that decided the election, right? In Pennsylvania, Wisconsin, and Michigan, it totals up to about 70,000 Stein votes in those three states, which exceeds the 50,000 margin of victory uh, for Trump in those three states. And most of the Stein voters that I've talked to are like, yeah, man, I'm sorry. I wasn't a big Clinton fan. I thought she had it in the bag. My bad. And okay, cool. Like if you're repentant, great. Don't Uh, don't screw that up again. Right. That's exactly right. (laughs) A handful, I still get hate mail, right? I still get people who are like, well, you know, it's the DNC's fault for nominating a candidate. And it's like, all right, like that, I must be nice to live in your world where that, the the can the, with the consequence of that you can impose on the rest of the country. But <laughs> did the DNC put its thumb on the scale a little bit? Sure. But that's what they do. But then but then, you know, you basically, you know, you're just people who are like, oh, they should, you know, the DNC put Joe Biden. No, the voters did. He was way behind. He didn't have any campaign offices. He was didn't have any money. Uh, so it's not, we're in a very different situation than than I think we were in 2016. And and it, and it just it bums me out when people are like the corrupt DNC put Joe Biden at the top. No, and 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 it, when you say that, you are shitting all over the millions of people who voted for him. Yeah, and 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 look, you and I are are roughly the same age. I was a huge Howard Dean supporter in 2004. Woo-hoo! Don't know, don't know if you were right. Um, I will tell you, the DNC tanked 
Howard Dean intervened against Howard Dean so much more strongly than they did in in any of the past elections. Mm-hmm. Um, it, 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 if, if you I, I the DNC distributed buttons that said dated Dean married Carrie. Right. Like it was an institutional position of like, OK, like, yeah, well, liberals, that's really cute and all like. Uh, but now it's time to come home and vote for John Kerry. That's who we want the nominee to be. What a weird button. Socialist in the streets. Uh, uh, moderate in the sheets. What the fuck is that? That's exactly. That's exactly right. That was the message they were trying to send. And 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 look, like it. It. I. I wasn't happy about that, but like I got in line and I voted for John Kerry in 2004. Anyway, like yeah. if if you can't get over, you know that the, the uh, uh, you know the politics ain't beanbag, right? Like it. It's it. it then, you know, you're not going to be in politics for very long. Yeah, you know what? The DMV sucks, too. But if you want a driver's license, you got to go stand in line. Um, All right. Well, (laughs) now that we've gotten through that, uh, you know, uh, hoisting mediocrity up over our shoulders, um, I appreciate you coming on. And I just wanted to talk about possibly a little wager on when the tax cases are going to be decided before I let you go, because I know a lot of your followers are coming at me saying that's not going to happen till after the election. <laughs> and uh, and I'm saying it's going to happen. Uh, there's five decisions left. Two of them are the tax case. And I think we'll get the three on Thursday or Friday. And I think we'll get the two next week, the, the, the tax decisions next week. And not because of anything nefarious, not because everyone was holding it off. It was the last thing argued and arguments were put off by two weeks because of coronavirus or three weeks. They were arguing in May, which is rare, uh, if ever. And so that's what I think. I think we're going to get those tax decisions. They might not go our way, at least not all of them. I don't think they'll all go our way. And we aren't going to get them. It's not like... Trump has to give them to the public. It's Mazars giving them to a grand jury, which is super secret, or Mazars or Deutsche Bank or Capital One giving it to the House Dems, which is a little more leaky. But still, nonetheless, it's not being released to the public. Yeah. And I I want to be clear, and I, I've, I've tried to be clear on my show about this. Um, <laughs> it, it, it would be extraordinary for the Supreme Court to punt those decisions to the next term. And what I'm saying, and I'm happy, and I'm going to take the wager, uh, I, I, I will be happy to be wrong about that. Um, I, I think the, the counter, the points you've made are all valid and, and you didn't make the strongest point in your favor, which is the Supreme Court very rarely does this sort of thing. Right. Um, but never, unless they're re-arguing it as far as I know. Well, um, I, I I have some analogous example, but 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 never a situation where you have a decision on the merits. Uh, would you relist? But that's all John Roberts has to do is just relist uh, the the conference for next term and basically say like, hey, um, I'm still deadlocked. I'm still trying to figure out because we we presume there are four votes one way and four votes the other, and so you just say. Uh, uh, in the opinion of John Roberts as Chief Justice, we do not have uh, a uh, a final alignment here, so I'm going to relist this for October 2020. Um, that's procedurally all he has to do. Um, and uh, and again, I, I would add uh, your your points are well taken. John Roberts is acutely aware 
thanks to Sheldon Whitehouse, uh, uh, as we've discussed on your show and mine, of the reputation that his court has and of the political implications of the decisions that he's releasing. So, like, let's not pretend like he doesn't know exactly what's going to happen when the court goes one way or the other. And, um, And I think taking the... Uh, House mm-hmm. Dems uh, judiciary subpoena on a non-expedited basis, right? We, this is this is what led to uh, to my fans adding you and, and vice versa. Um, I, it, it when the Supreme Court granted cert in the uh, House Judiciary case and said yes, it is absolutely important that we figure out if the House uh, Judiciary Committee is entitled to the full unredacted Mueller report. That is not just you know with the grand jury stuff deleted now that there's no ongoing matter to have harm to, but with all of the other uh, uh, redactions removed, um, the, the 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 version that Judge Walton has seen and that I would literally stab a hobo to see um, the 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 question like the Supreme I, I, Court I don't, said, I don't support that. I'm just saying, yeah, just, don't I take legal advice from this show or, or that that does not <laughs> fa- fa- uh, that does not form a binding contract. That's a, that's hyperbole. Um, Right. The Supreme Court was like, yes, it is super duper important that you hear that case. And so we'll hear arguments on that in October of 2020. Well, you know, thanks, Mm -hmm. Supreme Court. Like, you can't tell me they didn't know what they were doing in that case. Could they possibly be like, uh, oh, we have a a, here's our decision. Yes, they have to hand them over. They have until November 10th. Uh, they, they, They could. The Supreme Court very rarely gives that kind of explicit guidance, right? Usually they you remand, yeah. right? You, you either affirm or, 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 uh, or, or overturn, and then you remand back to the lower court to issue instructions for how to have this come about. And that could happen too. They could remand it back down to the lower court to be like, you figure out when. Right. Um, but, but I think the, the, the district of Columbia, uh, the, the, the U S district court for the district of Columbia would order an expedited release schedule. Right. So that, that, uh, that would work to our favor. I, I just look at it like this. John Roberts is acutely aware that he is presiding over the most partisan court in history. Um, he remains a committed Republican partisan and, and conservative activist. Um, but he would like for his kids and grandkids not to have to read in school textbooks that the Roberts court was, you know, the most shameful Supreme court in history. And so, uh, he's <laughs> too he, late. He, yeah, well, that that's right. And so, uh, so he is trying to preserve the institutional legacy. He's not willing to do that by giving up most of his conservative stuff. Uh, but it does mean that he's willing narrowly to rule against the administration on administrative grounds, right? We've seen that in the abortion cases, right? So, um, and and I think he's saying, if I don't have to, if I can push this off and give the voters a chance to get this right, then I don't have to carry water for this, you know, corrupt game show host of a president. And I can go back to just doing my job on the Supreme Court and um, and don't make me do that. But if you guys screw it up and, you know, uh, then then look like I, I'm, I'm already in bed with this guy and, uh, you know, that's how it's going to come out. So I, I think that's a I think that's a real possibility in a way that I didn't think it was a possibility, you know, six months ago. So um, so I'm happy to make the bet. I'm, I will be I will come on the show if I'm wrong. Um, hopefully I'll, I'll uh, you can come on my show if I'm right. 
Hundred percent, I will. <laughs> As of looking right now, uh, there is no update on any future opinion days. Uh, but we didn't expect until later on today if they were going to add Thursday or Friday that we wouldn't see it until the day uh, before. But I don't know if Wednesday is going to be another conference day. We shall see. And you are on, sir. Um, all right. Well, thank you for coming on and explaining all that to us. And uh, tell everybody where they can find you. Always opening arguments. You know, you know how to find that. So uh, we'll uh, we'll see you there. All right. Thanks very much. Andrew Torres, co-host of Opening Arguments. We will talk to you soon. Awesome. All right, everybody, stick around right after this quick break. We have the good news block. Stay with us. Hey, everybody, it's AG. If you've been listening to the show for a while, I'm sure you've heard us all talk about our Helix mattresses. Uh, Joelle and Amanda love theirs. Jordan has one. I have one. We apps. It's the best mattress ever. It's like sleeping on the cloud. Well, Helix has launched a new company called Allform. It's gone beyond the bedroom to revolutionize furniture for the rest of your home. Allform makes beautiful, comfortable sofas and chairs delivered directly to you with fast, free shipping. They make it easy to customize a sofa using premium materials at a fraction of the cost of traditional stores. Uh, you can pick your fabric, the color, uh, the color of the legs, the sofa size, and the shape to make sure it's perfect for you and your home. And it's great for pod pets. I picked out an all-form three-seater sofa and customized it in whiskey-colored leather. I did a walnut-leg finish in a chaise lounge. I would have never been able to have leather before, but because their fabrics are spill-stained and scratch-resistant, it's it's I can do it, and I'm so excited about that. I, I put it together myself. I love it. Allform has armchairs and love seats all the way up to eight-seat sectionals, so there's something for everyone. And you can start small and add more seats later if you want. Uh, you know, if you move or move to a bigger house or your family gets bigger, you can grow and change with you. Usually if you want to order a custom sofa, it takes weeks or months. Uh, last time I ordered one, it took three months to make and arrive. And I had to get with a freight company uh, who gave me a nine-hour delivery window. And I had to pay somebody to come assemble it. But Allform takes just three to seven days to arrive in the mail, and you can assemble it yourself in a few minutes with no tools needed. Best of all, you get 100 days to decide if you want to keep it. And if you don't love it, but you will. But if you don't, they'll pick it up for free and give you a full refund, no hidden fees. They also have a forever warranty, like literally a forever. forever. So to find your perfect sofa, check out allform.com slash dailybeans. And Allform is offering 20% off, 20% off all orders for our listeners at allform.com slash dailybeans. Hey everybody, welcome back. It is time for the good news. Well, we'll float on good news is on the way. Here with me today is Mandy Reader. Hello. It's been one whole minute since we last spoke. Yes, it has. And uh, we got the intro right that time. <laughs> <We're just gonna> <laughs> <laughs> uh, okay, cool. Do you want to kick us off? Absolutely. Love love my good news block. And it's a treat to get to do it with you, Jordan. Yes, um, it is. This is quite the treat. Yes, indeed. Okay, uh, from Andy. He, him. Call me Andy, please. Well, I will, Andy. I will call you Andy. My day job is a graduate student doing research in New York City, but I have also been teaching science workshops to middle school kids in the Bronx through an after-school program. However, with COVID shutting down the city, everything ground to a halt and in-person lessons were canceled, of course. I was missing seeing people, seeing the people I'd gotten to know there and worried about how the kids were doing stuck inside. You're a good person to think of them. Luckily, the amazing organizers brought the operation online, turning the entire after-school program virtual. I did my part by digging up an old camera, learning rudimentary video editing, and producing video versions of all of our workshops. These videos showed students how to do simple science experiments like extracting DNA and making oobleck. Haha, <laughs> <laughs> Jordan. <laughs> Just because it's a that's a word I would fuck up. <laughs> 
Nice try. <laughs> you got a 50-50 shot on these ones. <laughs> Using stuff they can find at home. <laughs> I also ran the lessons live over Zoom alongside other instructors who taught arts and crafts or how to produce rap music. Last week, we celebrated the end of the semester in a big group Zoom call, and I felt so proud of this community that pulled it together despite the pandemic. We aren't the only ones who have made something awesome, awesome happen over Zoom. You ladies at Muller Stewart have kept this amazing podcast going, and I am so grateful for it. I don't know how I would get through the news without the anger, insight, and butt jokes. Keep it coming. <laughs> Yay. Uh, so glad people are receptive of the butt jokes. It's good. Um, that is so awesome. Thank you. Uh, next up from Anonymous Pronouns, he, him. He says, thanks, AG and Jordan. I have been listening to MSW and Daily Beans since the beginning and have been on this ride since the beginning. You are my daily source of news. I used to listen to Maddo, and although I love her to death, I found myself depressed and really angry all the time. The lightness that you add, and swearing, makes hearing the news a little more bearable. Here in Ruby Red, Utah, vomit, we recently had the Republican primary. Since a Democrat hasn't been governor here since the 80s, the real race is the primary. The Republicans, including one of the candidates, changed the rules so that only Republicans could vote, but left a loophole whereby Democrats and independents could temporarily switch their registration and vote. Over 100,000 of us Democrats and independents did this and helped defeat the two most Trumpy candidates, including the douche canoe that changed the rules. Yes! <laughs> <laughs> Although Trump did not endorse either of these ass clowns, both of these candidates openly campaigned as Trump Republicans and labeled the other two candidates as never Trumpers, as if that's bad? Mail-in ballots are still being counted. Yes, Utah, a Republican-led state, has used mail-in ballots successfully and free of fraud for years. Lieutenant Governor Scott Cox has a slight lead over former governor and Obama-appointed ambassador to China and Trump ambassador to Russia, John Huntsman, a very moderate Republican. John Hunt, God, I haven't thought about that man in forever. In a state full of Trump worshippers, this is a great sign that things may be closer this fall. The two leaders collectively received about 75% of the vote, and the other guys only got 25% of the vote. Either way, Utah will be in a better place with either of these candidates as governor, and neither is afraid of a mean tweet. I'm still working on my parents who mainline Fox News and Rush and <laughs> mainline Fox News and Rush and have made some progress with my dad. Like the band who mainline Fox News and Rush. Oh, Limbaugh. <laughs> Rush Limbaugh. That's so funny. That's so funny. Uh, I was thinking the band Rush like, that's how they sound. Um, <laughs> that's so funny. All right, <laughs> Rush Limbaugh, and it made some progress with my dad, and that he will now listen and agrees Trump sucks, but then quickly pivots to Hillary or Pelosi or Obama and how they are just as bad. I'm hoping by November that we will see progress and maybe a blue state surprise. Ooh. So good. Very exciting. Um, Sweet. Thank you for sending that in, Anonymous in Utah. Yes, yes. Um, I'm, like, really fascinated by uh, a lot of, like, things about Utah, Um. I think because I grew up, my high school was next to this really, like, really beautiful Mormon temple. And um, we don't really have a lot of Mormon people where I grew up in Nova Scotia. And we certainly, or maybe we do, and I don't know. But as far as I know, we don't have very many. But there's this really, like, surprisingly beautiful temple, given kind of what a more, like, working area it was. And it, like, stuck out like a sore thumb. And I went to high school with a couple of the Mormon people who went to that temple and I became just like fascinated. So I watched all these documentaries about Utah and I watched Big Love and I, I learned a lot about like Mormonism and also FLDS. And anyway, totally. also big, looks... big, big difference between FLDS and, and oh, yeah, absolutely huge difference. Totally. But anyway, I just was like, 
as a place and um i i became fast it also looks really beautiful there it's so beautiful it is so so incredibly yeah that part of the country is amazing sweet um very nice next good news story from a listener in germany from matt he him Hi there. I have been a listener since the early days of Muller, she wrote. I am from Cologne, Germany. I don't think I've been to Cologne, but I've been to a lot of parts of Germany. I fucking love Germany uh, so much. And really grateful for your work. You are giving anyone living outside the U.S. inside info as to what's going on that you can't get by watching CNN International. So thank you. For the good news, 14 days ago, the official German Corona Warning app was made available for download. It only took those 14 days for the app to be downloaded more than 14 million times. Mm. With that, it reached the most important goal of being used by more than 15% of the German population. This number is needed so infection chains can be disrupted. The good thing is, is that this app follows very strict data protection rules. User data are not centrally saved and no central and there's no central user tracking and no GPS uh, data needed. Besides that, the software is also open source, which guarantees that no hidden features can be put in it. So we can now have the benefits of being able to better control the outbreak of COVID without giving up our freedoms and rights. Once again, thank you for all you are doing and to AG for doing a really good job pronouncing German words. (laughs) (laughs) She does kill it at that. She does. That's rad. Gosh. Imagine us yeah. having, imagine the country where Silicon Valley is having some sort of official COVID app. Right? Obama right? was not perfect. I'm not like Obama's number one fan, but God damn it. If he was in office right now, he would be working with Silicon Valley and there would be information so much more readily available and better presented. Yeah. Or the parts of Silicon Valley that he'd be working with wouldn't be parts that are only going to profit uh, for him and his friends. Well, hopefully. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Yes. No, that's true. That's true. <laughs> We're still in capitalism, people. I said it would be better presented. I didn't say our data would be protected like Germany. (laughs) Yes, that's true. That is true. Um, Uh. All right. Finally, from Mo, pronoun she, her. She says, a win for alternative energy sources was obtained when the transatlantic pipeline that would have been a potential environmental disaster for several states has died the death it deserves to die. Hashtag leave carbon in the ground. Yes. Fuck yeah. So good. This reminds me because, you know, at the forefront of a lot of these movements for uh, a a lot of these anti-pipeline movements and environmental justice movements, it's all indigenous folks at the at the forefront of these things, you know, like we were talking about that yesterday. Yeah, I think I don't know if you guys mentioned this on the show, but um, in one jail near the Dakota Access uh, Pipeline site, I believe um, I could don't quote me on that. I could be wrong, but uh it was something I saw in Democracy Now, where in an area, uh, one jail, it was something like 60% of the people in it were all Native folks mm-hmm. because God. they were all being thrown in for, for protesting and stuff. Wow. But, mm-hmm. And I also, I mean, excuse me, for I apologize for my ignorance. I did grow up in rural Canada, so I don't have quite as much information on different parts of American history as someone who has grown up here. But I learned over the weekend that... <laughs> Mount Rushmore was carved by someone who has ties to the KKK. Oh, I didn't know that. That's definitely not something they'd teach you in school and put in the little caption. Yes, I was I was actually watching stuff about the pipelines and about some of these um like uh, uh pipeline protests and about some of these like uh, uh, treaty honoring disputes and just sort of, you know, with, uh, it was sort of like uh, a, co- a joint conversation, partially talking about Trump talking at Mount Rushmore and then partially talking about some of these environmental justice movements. And yeah, I learned 
that Mount Rushmore was carved by someone with ties to the KKK. And I was like, oh my God. God. <laughs> I was like, everything is a lie. My world yes. is crashing down. I know. What a this is such a white girl response, I know. But well, I mean, well, what I didn't know that either. When we don't know things, we react to the things that we now know. So mm-hmm. I do not blame you, but also I'm another white girl. So here we are. But I feel like <laughs> I feel like as a kid in school, you need to be taught the complexity of the things that you're learning. Um mm-hmm reality i should say not complexity the reality like hey here's this thing it's a national monument but also it was commissioned for work by a guy who is a complete hate mongering racist because there needs to be implanted that that dichotomy in your brain that that it not even i mean dichotomy is not the right word it's more so these things that have existed because this this other element of racism has allowed for it to exist in the way that it does but something that's just like here's this national monument and here's all of the history behind it so just sit with that so now the next time that you see a kind of national monument you know you might be thinking something critical like i wonder who made that and supported that monument in the beginning? I, I wonder what the full origin story is of that instead of this blind patriotism shit. I, I wasn't I didn't know that I that Mount Rushmore had such nasty, nasty origins for like many, many, many years after mm-hmm. I first learned about it. And mm-hmm. that's that's unacceptable. <laughs> that is um, unacceptable. I agree. <laughs> Damn. Yes. Well, that's the end of our good news. Well, can I make a recommendation, though, uh, based off of this conversation? Um, uh, I've been watching this show on Hulu. I've been binging it. And it has Padma Lakshmi from Top Chef. And Mm. it's called Taste the Nation. And it's been such, Oh, yes. I've heard so much about that show. Yeah. With um, all of this stuff happening um, in the news lately and uh, with July 4th happening and, you know, me feeling some kind of ways about that, I've been hungry to celebrate the parts of this country that I love the most, which is its diversity and mm-hmm. its people. And so Taste the Nation is Padma Lakshmi pre-pandemic, obviously, traveling all around right. the country. And she um, talks to all these different um, immigrant groups about um, their history and their cuisine and their cooking and how, what they bring like to American culture and the ways in which you know uh, it adapts and shapes American culture. So they interview... Uh, uh, Chinese folks in San Francisco, Japanese folks in Hawaii. They um, interview uh, Gullah Geechee people in South Carolina. They interview uh, German descendants in Milwaukee. Uh, they uh, they interview uh, Mexican people in El Paso. And so she ta- she travels around the country doing like a food travel culture show, but through the lens of speaking to. I mean, the entire show. What's amazing about it is that, like it's, they're mostly talking to women of color the whole mm-hmm. show. And I love that. And there was one episode, which is what um, started off this train of thought. There was an episode they did with um, indigenous folks, uh, mostly in New Mexico. And it was really wonderful. And uh, I felt like I learned, I learned a lot. Uh, and I would, I would recommend it. If you, if you need to feel good about America for a minute, kind of watch that mm-hmm. show. I mean, they also mm-hmm. touch on the uh, xenophobia and racism and treatment of all these immigrant groups over time, because it's not like they just showed up here 20 years ago. Like people of color have been here for, mm-hmm. you know, like they didn't just show up in the 1950s, you know? Mm-hmm. Um, right. So it, I, I learned a lot about um, the treatment and the history of a whole bunch of different um, 
different uh, groups in, in, in the U.S. And that was really useful for me too. So I cannot recommend it enough. And also Padma Lakshmi is such a babe. I cannot believe that woman is almost 50. What moisturizer are you using? Yes, I, I've only seen. Well, first off, thank you. That sounds mm-hmm. amazing. And I'm going to watch it. Food shows are one of my favorite things in the whole world. So that sounds incredibly. And it's so beautifully shot. It's perfect I to watch that. like I love when that. you need some chill time. Yes, totally. It's on Hulu, did you say? It's on Hulu, yeah. Hulu, awesome, great. Well, I will definitely watch that, and everybody else should too. Um, God, I love food. It's the coolest lens outside of just loving to eat it. It's just like, it's such a it's political and it's familial yes, and it's and it's personal history and, and yeah, yeah, it's so it's intimate. Mm-hmm. Yes, mm-hmm. it's very intimate. So thank you. Um, mm-hmm. all right, that's all. That's all we got. Do you have any final thoughts? That was my final thought. Beautiful. Thank you so much. Uh, I have no final thoughts today other than be well. Um, Also, if you're interested, episode of my podcast, I Disagree, is out tonight uh, or tomorrow if you're a patron listening to this on Tuesday. But check it out. Look it up on iTunes, I Disagree, or on Twitter at the I Disagree pod. And that's it. Thank you so much, everybody. Have a great day. The Daily Beans is executive produced and directed by A.G. and Jordan Coburn and engineered and edited by Mackenzie Mazell and Starburns Industries. Our marketing manager, executive assistant, production and social media direction is Amanda Reeder. Fact-checking and research by A.G., Jordan Coburn, and Amanda Reeder. Our music is written and performed by They Might Be Giants. Our web design and branding are by Joel Reeder with Moxie Design Studios. And our website is dailybeanspod.com. <laughs>